Welcome to Wealth Matters episode number 6. This is your host Alpesh Parmar. I will be chatting with Bo Kim who went from 0 to 16 units in little over a year. Him about a um, year and a half ago, we have been chatting. Both of us shared same goals. We both wanted to get out of the red red race and want to get out of the red race. Um, so, and we share the same passion. We were investing same way out of state, uh, but of course, he's been up to speed as soon as he has started. Last I heard from him, he went from zero units to sixteen units in little over a year. So, welcome, Bo. Hey, Apesh, how's it going? Glad to be here. How are you, Bo? Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So uh tell us about yourself. What have you been up to? What what's your background and how did you and why did you get started with real estate? Yeah. So uh my name is Bo and um during the day I work as an accountant uh for a regional CPA firm uh here in Orange County. So um so running I, running the numbers is not a problem. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of embedded in my DNA. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so it's been a very nice transition um, you know, kind of from my day job to my side hustle at nights and weekends just because I'm used to looking at, you know, company financial data as well as understanding how a company works with the different processes and systems. So when I was, you know, creating my real estate portfolio, I leveraged my knowledge of my understanding of businesses um starting with different systems and processes and implementing that so that i can scale um i didn't want to reinvent the wheel so to say so once i had one process down i just wanted to be able to replicate it and make it better stronger faster so it's been a really nice uh, transition um to creating my own side business Um so I work as an accountant during the day and I've been doing that for about 5 years and Alpesh it's funny right you and I are kind of in the same industry um we found out as we were talking that about it <laughs> Yeah So been doing that for about 5 years and then how I got interested in investing in real estate was that ever since I was a young kid you know my parents were lifelong renters and i knew that we were renting from this asian lady who would come and physically pick up her checks every month and i would be asking my dad hey you know why are we paying her rent every month um and she's just coming around and collecting our money why don't we do that and my dad didn't really have a good answer for me and he just kind of brushed it off like you know having rental properties is for people with a lot of money or a lot of knowledge and it's not for us like immigrants we can't have rental properties so you know i was kind of discouraged when i was younger um thinking that i couldn't get a rental property but that stuck with me in the back of my head and also what was funny was she had a son that was about the same age i was and she started bringing her son to collect these checks and he would also join us when we were renewing the lease agreement so i remember when i was in high school and i was a part of this whole process just because my dad didn't speak a lot of english and he wanted me to translate for him right cuz um the landlord was second generation american so um she right. spoke english really well 
So as I was translating for my father and things like that, I could see that she was teaching her son at the same time, like what to look for as she was, you know, looking around her property and inspecting the property and things like that. that and I was like, great. this is, yeah, this yeah. is so cool. You're like, you're teaching your kids. I was like, I want to learn. Right. So that really stuck with me for a very, very long time. And then, of course, as I grew up, I totally forgot about it. <laughs> and I think that may have shown you how you can, you know, instill the uh, knowledge of investing in your kids as well as, you know, can build generational wealth out of this. Right? Oh, yeah, exactly. That's what I want to do, right? So, yeah. So I kind of forgot about it for a while. And then after I graduated from college, I got a nice job and then uh, met my now wife. We got married and we went through the typical, you know, we both had dual income, no kids. So the cash flow was really good and we were renting at the time. So the natural, I think, step was to purchase our residence. So we purchased our home and it was a three bedroom, three bath townhouse where I felt like there was an extra room that we didn't really need. So we ended up renting it out just oh, to help okay. with the cash. So you kind of did house hacking too. Yeah, yeah. That's how I started. And at the time I had no idea that this was a house hack, right? Brandon Turner of Bigger Pockets yeah. um, coined the term. But I didn't know this was house hacking, but I knew that I wanted to reduce my expenses as much as I can because that room is just sitting there. Nobody's using it. It's collecting dust. Might as well rent it out. Oh. So yeah, I did that for a year and I rented out at seven fifty. So my mortgage was um twenty seven hundred and it reduced it down to nineteen hundred, right? Right. And on top of that, I was getting, you know, all these tax benefits because now yes. I was itemizing, I was writing off my interest, my property taxes, yep. all of that good stuff. Yeah, depreciation. Yeah, that is so much. <laughs> yeah, there was so much tax benefits. And when I was renting, um, I was paying close to $1,600, $1,700. Already, so, yes. Yeah, so it's only a $200 benefit, which is easily wiped out by all these tax benefits. Yes. So looking back, it was a really good decision. And now here's the icing on the cake. In two years, it has appreciated $70,000. I didn't nice. do anything. Nice. And I took a HELOC and I could talk more about this later um, as we cover my rental portfolio, but I took that HELOC um, and purchased two more rental properties that cash flow even more for me. So it's just a, you know, small snowball method. Snowball right? effect. Exactly. Right? Exactly. You yep. get to keep doing it. You get to use leverage one property, buy another one, just keep going. All right. Yeah, it just keeps on growing. And the great thing about it is I'm using other people's money to do it. I'm using the bank's money, the HELOC, um, you know, other people paying for rent. Like all of this yeah. couldn't have been done if I was just cutting expenses and saving. No, and then not getting any interest on your savings. <laughs> exactly. Right. So uh, that, that's cool. Hey, uh, let me ask you a question. So uh, you mentioned about you are an accountant and you are able to run the numbers. This is not rocket science though, right? So mm -hmm. someone who is not an accountant should be able to do this as well, right? Oh yeah, for sure. And you and I, Alpesh, know that as accountants, we're not mathematicians, right? Nope. We're not doing some sort of crazy calculation here. Basically, 
you know, we're trying to understand the company and trying to understand how things work. So you don't even really need to be good at math to be an accountant. That's one of the biggest myths. Yeah, um, actually, <laughs> yeah, you actually have to be really good at writing and explaining people, you know, what you have reported on. So I would actually say writing skills is 80% of what I do. Got it. Yeah. No, I just wanted to throw it out there that people start thinking, oh, because he's an accountant, he was able to move from zero to 16 or whatever in a year. So it does not matter. This is basic math, right? You create a spreadsheet. This is your income and this is your expenses, right? You don't have to do anything more than that. Of course, the uh, more you grow your business, you are going to get savvy with it or you may have a partner or employee who can do all that for you, right? But when yep. you're starting out for a property or two, you, you know, anyone can do it. Yeah. And actually to add on that, Alpesh, I would actually say a lot of accountants and engineers who get into real estate investing, they're actually <laughs> the ones who have the most analysis paralysis. I was going to say, I knew that was coming analysis paralysis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know why, they right? make a because, mess out of a deal, right? <laughs> yeah, it's because we love to analyze. We like exactly. to see the problem and we try to fix it, try to make it perfect. But you can't make perfect be the enemy of good, right? Yeah. If there's a really good deal, you can't try to uh, make it so perfectly that you're just going to be stuck and not you know, pull yeah. the trigger. Especially you can't even solve a problem if there is no problem, right? So you're like, we are trying to solve a problem. We don't even know it's there or not till you get into it. You know, yeah. you are, if you are sitting on the sidelines, it's, it's all, you know, theory. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's a good point. So what, when did you make the switch? So I, 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 I like the story so far. And even, even though I know you, I did not know about house hacking and all, but so when exactly did you buy your first property other than your primary home or townhouse you mentioned about? Yeah. So this all started um, back in 2017 uh, Thanksgiving. So I was reading uh, that purple book, <laughs> Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> and I, I just knew that I had to get into real estate. I knew I needed to create passive cash flow. And this, you know, this concept was supported by, you know, a couple months of house hacking. So by the time I picked up this book, I've been house hacking for about six, seven months. And I knew that this was the answer, right? So it's cash flow you're earning while you sleep. So after I picked up this book, I attended a bigger pockets webinar. And I think it was titled 45 days to get your first rental property or the 45 day challenge or something like that. And through that bigger pockets webinar, it really gave me the confidence and the knowledge in terms of, okay, here's some actionable steps that I need to take to take down my first rental. So after I went through that webinar, I made a list for myself in terms of what I need to do, uh, researching the different markets. I knew that, I'm not going to look in California because it's not going to cash flow. So I was going to look in the Midwest and I knew about Kansas city. I knew about Indianapolis. So that's where I started my research. I scoured the bigger pockets forums. Uh, and I realized that there was something called turnkey providers, meaning that I didn't necessarily have to form my own team. I didn't need to swing my own hammer. I didn't need to rehab it myself. 
and I will be able to get a rent ready property that cash flows from day one. Now I'll talk about, you know, the pros and cons of turnkey in a second, but I, I love that concept because for me as a busy W2 worker, you know, accountants, um, they have a very demanding job and I didn't want to create a second job at the time. And I knew that I wanted to do the best that I can at my W2 job because that's what they're paying me for. And then on the side, on the nights and weekends, I could slowly scale up my portfolio. And so it's, I, it's, it's a good point you brought up, right? So when you are working W2, unless you are ready to quit, you want to make sure that you are taking care of your stable uh, income, right? And, and funneling that income into your real estate. And the second point about Thunkey, I, you know, even everyone knows on my podcast that I started with Thunkey. Uh, that's the easiest route to get in. Of course, we all know about pros and cons and you just mentioned that you may have, you may talk about those as well, but uh, that's a good route to take as long as you have vetted out the Thunkey provider. Exactly. Yep. So, I mean, I got a list of Thunkey providers and I interviewed them um, and I crossed some off my list and I circled the others um, and I started looking at their inventory. And there was one turnkey that had the most inventory with you know, promised rich, promising returns. So I ended up buying my first turnkey with them and you know, I did the whole put it under contract, inspections, um, get an appraisal, close on the property and it was tenanted. So by the end of January, um, so one year ago, this time, I had my first rental. So that's the story of my first rental. That is awesome. Yeah. So from when I first learned about it to when I closed, it took me about two months. And I would say that's a little faster than the average individual, just because for me, knowing myself, if I knew I would have stalled for at least a couple more months, I probably never would have mustered the courage to purchase one out of state because I am that, you know, textbook definition of analysis paralysis. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that's funny. So, um, so that, that, that property was in Indy or Kansas city market. That was in Kansas city. Okay. And, uh, how many markets are you uh, investing in right now? I'm currently in Indianapolis, Kansas City, and Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, you, you explored Little Rock, huh? I remember yeah. you, we chatted about it a little bit. Yeah. So how do you see all three uh, markets? What do you, uh, I think India and Kansas City markets are similar. What do you see with uh, Little Rock market? Yeah, I also see Little Rock as kind of like a under the radar market. Um, obviously, it doesn't have the robust, you know, population or economy as much as the aforementioned two markets. But I think it's a very stable market and um, the jobs are growing and the population is also growing based on my research. Um, and also, it's very landlord friendly. So when I was researching some of the laws uh, around rental real estate, I found out that from the time you file an eviction to the actual sheriffs escorting the evicted tenants out the door, it could be as little as 21 to 28 days. Wow. No, that's fast. So for me, that's like unheard of. Yeah. In Kansas right. City, for me, it took like 60 
to 75 days. Yeah. So I think that's still not bad comparing it to uh, Ohio or California and the landlord friendly, I mean, tenant friendly states. Because I know in California, one of my friends, it took him seven months. So, you know, it's still not bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And these are the things that, you know, we kind of don't really consider when we're heading into purchasing real estate, but it's so very important because of course you put your best foot forward and hope that you don't have an eviction, but it's part of the game. It is. It happens. So yeah, you have to understand what it's going to take. Hey, so uh, after you did the first deal um, and um, how did you grow from zero to one and then suddenly 16 in a year, what did you do? Yeah, so I did a couple of different things. Uh, number one, I looked at my personal finances and looked at ways where I can cut expenses, um, where I can grow my income. So I did a combination of things. So from the time I purchased my first one and my sixth one, within a span of a couple months, I, I received a pay increase my wife also increased a uh, increased her pay. She got a um, pay raise. So both of us getting a pay raise and our expenses actually being reduced, um, it created about thirty percent more cash flow, That's um, nice. allowing us to purchase another rental really quickly. And also, I had a lot—not um, a lot, but um, enough to buy. Um, one and a half turnkey rentals sitting in my 401k. So what I did was I took out a 401k loan and I purchased another turnkey property and I used the cash flow from that to pay back my 401k. And you have to idea. check with your, yeah, you have to check with your 401k provider, but um, my 401k allows you um, to up take to a loan of 50% or, or up to 50k. K right. and the interest you're actually paying back yourself. Yeah, exactly. So for me, yeah, it was, it's a, it was a no brainer for me. It's a win win, right? Yep. You are getting the loan and then you're putting the money back, which is going to you. <laughs> How can you lose, right? Yep. Unless you find really a yeah. terrible deal. But if you do your due diligence, then you can only win. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting there looking even smarter because when I took out the loan, it was um, in early April before the stock market dipped about 10%, I think. Um, so immediately after I took the loan, the stock market dipped like 10%. I'm like, I'm feeling like a genius because, you know, it's that, you know, buy low, sell high strategy. <laughs> yeah. And of course it kept going up near until the end of the year. And then now it took an even further dip. So depending on, you know, you can't time the market, no. but depending on how you strategically move your money, you can win in multiple sides. Yeah. As long as you are not emotional about it and you have a process in place, you know, um, I agree. Yeah. So uh, help me understand this one thing. How did you finance these properties? I, you mentioned about 401k. So let's say I understood that one. Uh, but as far as I know, don't we have a limit uh, with the traditional financing that I can only get up to 10 loans? Well, 
with you know if i'm buying between one to four units so how did you uh, get over that obstacle yeah so i'm actually still under um the 10 individual uh, fannie mae loans so out of my 16 units um four of the units are seller finance deals ah um, see that is why i brought this up because i knew <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is cool. so i have um four seller finance units as well as two duplexes yes. so in terms of loans i'm i'm only at uh nine loans oh good and and you can now that you yeah. mentioned about your wife working you can also utilize her credit if you ever need to right so she can exactly. get other 10 yep. loans. So that's what I, I keep telling people when they say, oh, it's hard to scale up. I'm like, let's say go buy, dupl uh, if you really want to scale up, buy duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes. You got four unit under one loan. You get 10 loans for, for four, three units. You are there with 20, 30, 40 units in no time. All right. Exactly. So that's a good point you brought up. Uh, but what about seller financing? What is it? A lot of people don't understand that. What does seller, yeah, how does it um, work? <laughs> there's a couple um, different strategies that you can use seller financing, but you know the simple definition is that through a traditional financing method, you're going to a, either a bank or a credit union or some sort of financial institution, right? But in case of seller financing, you're cutting out that middleman and you're going direct to the source. So you're going to the seller who has maybe owned that single family or multifamily property for you know, 20, 30 years, and you're asking them to hold the note. So you might give them a little down payment or you might give them more favorable terms or the purchase price. But in effect, you don't have to go through a bank. And what that allows you to do is keep your 10 Fannie Mae slots open for maybe other deals that require a bank financing. And also, it lessens the paperwork if you have bad credit, no credit, or if you need to put in less money for a down payment. You and the seller set the terms, so it's very flexible. So seller is the bank. Like, like when we get mortgage, our you know, bank is holding the note. So now seller is going to own the note. He, he's going to get your mortgage payment, right? Exactly. Oh, okay. So um, that's, uh, you know, I do know about it, but I just wanna make sure I cover all the questions. So uh, I'm glad that you mentioned about, you know, paying less down payment. Uh, or if your credit is not good, or, or your credit, or maybe your credit is really good, but it's it's reaching to a point after nine, ten loans where you know uh, you may not be able to get financing through another bank, right? Um, also, it gives you uh, you can negotiate uh, the terms, right? Saying that oh yeah, I will give you full price of the property as long as you know the property is good and all. You can, you don't have to negotiate on the price, but you can negotiate on the terms. Let's say the interest rate is 5% right now. You can tell exactly. the owner, I'll give you 4.5 or 4%, right? So there are lots of ways you can work this out with uh, the seller. Uh, is that correct? Yep. And another added benefit is that, um, as you know, Apesh, if you purchase um, a conventional, uh, through a conventional lender, um, they're not going to allow you to put that loan in a corporation or an LLC. 
That is but true. as uh, savvy investors know, yeah, they might want to give themselves asset protection. So if they purchase it through a seller financing deal, they're you know very well able to put it under an LLC, which is exactly what I did. Oh man, you're you're getting there. That's really good. That's smart. So uh, tell us about one of the deals, uh, one of your seller finance deal, right? What, 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 what did you, how did you get it? What was the term, um, you know, price, et cetera, if you don't mind? Yeah, definitely don't mind. Um, and these four units, they're actually part of the same deal. So there are two duplexes that were in the same neighborhood. Um, they're not in the same street, but they're in the same neighborhood and it was being listed on the MLS uh, for quite uh, higher than what I expected the market prices were to be. But that was good news for me because if it's high, not a lot of investors are going to even consider underwriting yeah. the deal. But oh, I, I knew that, in the market. you know, I could. Exactly. Yeah. And just like you said, it was sitting on the market for over a hundred days. That's so it. for me, it's like ding, ding, ding. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a perfect time to either lowball or strategically try to create some sort of uh, seller financing option. So, you know, one of the best advice that I got from my mentors is that in real estate, you only need to win one of the two. It's either the purchase price or the terms. You know, if you're trying to win both, you're either lucky or you're being, you know, greedy, right? Uh, so if the seller is focused on receiving an X amount for his properties, like the purchase price, it's like, I have to get $200,000 to pay off some sort of debt. Then there's no reason for you to keep trying to lower it to 180 because that's not what his wants are, right? right. But you can give him $200,000 but what if you can dictate the terms? What if you can amortize it for, you know, 45 40, years yeah, with 2% interest? Exactly. Yeah. What I was saying that yeah. you can negotiate on other terms. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's cool. Exactly. And if you do that, your cash flow is going to be so high that it <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter what you really paid for it. Right. Right. We're and looking you are at going cash to keep on cash it for a while. That means too, right? So you are going to appreciate the property as well. <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, once I found this deal, I flew out to the market of Kansas City and I walked the property with my agent and I looked at both properties and I knew it needed a bit of work to get to my standards. And this is another pro um, for the listeners. For me, when I see a little bit of cosmetic work, it's even better. It's more meat on the bone for me. Uh, other than compared to a fully renovated property. Right. For me, I know that yeah, if I see a new water heater in there, I see a new roof in there, there are fixed costs that the seller must get to recoup his investment. Yep. But if I knew that the roof only has three years of useful life left, boom, that's another negotiating point. So you want to look for those kind of diamond in the rough that needs a little bit of work and read that it's a little bit of work. It's not foundational work. It's not moving walls. It's not you know, a bunch of mold remediation, those will cost you thousands and thousands of dollars. So you want to kind of look for those properties. And then I talked with the seller and the agent to understand what their motivation was, right? 
And once I understood, you know, who they were and their motivation, I found out that the seller is an, actually an experienced investor who owns who owned the duplexes for over 20 years. Oh. So again, it kind of goes back to my seller financed category criteria is that if they've owned it free and clear for 20 plus years, that means they probably don't have a loan. They're yep. nearing retirement. And three, they've probably used up all the depreciation. So if they sell it to me right away, uh, they're going to have a, a okay. bunch of depreciation recapture. Yes. Right. So it's, it's actually a win-win scenario for me and the seller. Yes. So those are the three criteria that you want to look for. They're nearing retirement. So they want cash flow, right? They don't need a lump sum. And number two, they've owned it free and clear. So there's no bank involved. There's no due on sale clause. And number three, they've used up all this depreciation and there's going to be depreciation recapture once they sell me the property. That, that's pretty okay. good. Yeah, I, um, I was going to go there. So yes, in this case, both of you come out as winner, right? And if you can show them that, that, oh, you don't have to, you're going to get the payment every month and you don't have to pay taxes on the entire, you know, sell, sold price right away, then why not? Exactly. Yep. So, you know, after that, um, I made an offer. I, I pretty much knew that the number that they were asking for was, you know, way too high. So I asked for $40,000 off the purchase price, 6% interest, 10% down payment, a 10 year balloon and 20 year amortization. And with these terms, I knew that my property was still cash flow for me at a 16% cash on cash return, which is, you know, pretty much in line with all of my other properties. So I would have been happy at this uh, price and term, but the seller um, countered my purchase price to be only $20,000 off um, their original listing price. So I had to go back and forth with the seller, you know, explaining the inspection report, some of the concerns that I had uh, and my reason for yes, requesting. You got to have reasoning. You just don't want to go and say that, oh, I'm going to pay 20,000 or 40,000 less than your asking price. You got to have, you know, your reasoning. You got to have some facts to back you up, right? As you said, inspection report and you became a savvy investor. So once looking at the property itself, you could have some more reasons as well, right? Yep, exactly. And he understood. Um, he was also a very experienced investor. And like I mentioned, um, he had multiple rentals in that market. Um, I did a property search under his name and he had about 16 other properties. So I knew that I wanted to build a relationship with him because after this deal, I knew that if we have a good relationship, I can probably take off, you know, some of the other deals as well. Um, if the numbers made sense. That's a good so, idea. Yep. And he came, he agreed with me and came down to 30%, uh, $30,000. So, um, you know, he kind of met me in the middle and I agreed and we signed the contract. Right. And then um, after we were going through the process, um, there were some additional uh, testing that was done in terms of the sewer scoping. And we found out that, you know, the sewers were in really rough shape and um, also 
there was a large tree next to the property that was moving oh, the, the foundation. Yeah. Yeah, the roots. That so, yeah, so we were kind of talking about that. And, you know, I told the seller that, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to retrade with you, but the numbers just so, simply won't work um, if I don't go back to my original offer at $30,000, uh, $40,000 off. So, you know, at this point, the seller was a little bit irritated, right? Because yeah, I totally understand yeah. where he's coming from because it seems like I'm trying to continue to discount the property, right? Yes. Which I wasn't. I just had my standards and I wasn't going to back down from my I, standards. I, yeah, it's a, yeah, you just have to be careful with it. A lot of sellers would be emotional about the property as well. So you, you want to be really careful. And as I said, have your reasonings, have your facts, right? Exactly. So what I did was I was like, hey, I, I don't want to take any more from the purchase price, but how about we negotiate on some of the terms and I'll give you some of the terms you want. I'll take some of the terms. Let's, let's kind of um, craft a creative financing for both parties and we can keep the purchase price that is. So what I did was I kept the purchase price, you know, $30,000 off. It's the same. Interest rate, I took it down from 6% to 5.25%. Mm, now, mind nice. you, for, yeah, for duplexes, you know, some of the interest rates that I've been getting quoted was at the time like 6 to 6.25%. Oh, yeah, 6 is easy, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, 5.25% interest was really favorable. And, you know, as you know, with seller finance deals, interest rate, they actually jack it up to like seven or 8% yes. because they know that it's a favorable term. So I was really surprised to find that he was going to accept 5.25%. And the balloon payment, we kept it the same at 10 years. And the reason why I kept it at 10 years is because I felt like even if there is a market correction, um, I should be okay and out of the deepest trenches once 10 years have passed, right? So let's just say the whole market turns next year. Within 10 years, we should have exited the worst of kind of like the lows. So I did a minimum of 10 years. And then amortization, I increased it from 20 years to 30 years. So by doing this, I increased my cash flow another $200. And for the down payment, because I didn't want to seem like I'm just taking, I offered him 2.5% more down payment. So instead of 10%, I gave him 12.5%. Now, you know, at the end of the day, 2.5% in dollar wise, it was only a couple thousand dollars. But to him, I think it showed that, you know, I was willing to move and I was willing to try to work together to make this deal happen. Because as much as I don't want to lose this deal, he doesn't want to tie up this property for 60 days and not, you know, end up selling it and put it back on the market, right? Because once you do that, you're going to have other investors try to come in and, you know, see the writing on the wall and try to lowball you again. So you're going to do the same dance. So you want to try to make the deal yeah. happen. So I was able to successfully negotiate and get the pricing and terms that I wanted. Got it. No, that, that's great. Uh, thank you for sharing um, the deal as well as the terms. Yeah. And this would be very helpful to a lot of the listeners. So, Hey, I have some questions before we wrap up. Uh, 
I, I don't think we could cover everything. Uh, so of course I'll get <laughs> you back again on the show and talk about other yeah. things uh, and what you're up to. Um, what's your best deal so far? Ooh, um, I think my best deal is a Burr, um, which is the buy, uh, rehab, rent, uh, refinance and repeat strategy, um, that I did in Kansas city. So this one I purchased from a motivated seller, uh, for $30,000 and I put in about $2,000 worth of, you know, paint and some trims and, you know, replacing some lights fixtures and things like that really nothing it was already rent ready and it appraised for $65,000 so after six months of seasoning I refinanced out $48,000 which means I got to keep about what is that $14,000 after I paid down my initial loan so I used my HELOC to purchase it. Six months later, I took out $48,000. I paid my HELOC. I still had like $15,000, $16,000 left over. Wow, that's, that's, that's good. Yep, and that property, uh, it rents for eight fifty dollars right now. It's, it's my best that, cash That is property. a good investment, man, right there. Yep. That's why I really stress the importance of your marketing efforts and lead generation because the number one thing that you're doing as an investor is marketing. That's all you're doing because all of these other things that, you know, you're creating your team and that's all good, but you make your money when you buy, as you saw in this example. So if you buy the same house at $60,000, yeah, you're getting $5,000 worth of equity. But if you're doing a lot of hard work and you're able to find a motivated seller, selling for $30,000, then you're making, you know, what, $35,000 worth of equity. Right. Oh, that, that's a good point. So what's your worst, worst deal? Um, or have you had any bad deals? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say bad deals. I, I would say there are more lessons learned so far. Um, one of the biggest lessons learned, um, and the kind of deal that lost me about six, $7,000 in cash was a property that I bought um, that didn't have a good tenant. Um, so they paid for four months and then they stopped paying. And I went through this whole eviction ordeal. It took me about three months to figure out. And then they trashed the place. They took, you know, a lot of, the stuff within the house and then it got broken into. So there was a lot of issues with that house. And one of the lessons learned my takeaway from that is that I purchased a home with a huge lot. So you could literally fit like 10 of those homes in that lot. And when I was first buying that home, I was like, man, this is awesome. The tenants are going to have a, you know, a lot of, room to park their cars. They're going to have a big, large backyard to have family barbecues and whatnot. So I thought from the tenant's perspective, they would really enjoy it. But it caused a lot of issues when it was vacant because there was, it was kind of in the middle of nowhere. So a lot of people, you know, targeted that home to break in. A lot of the homeless will break in at night. Yeah, exactly. So I, I kind of, 
put it in my rule that I would only purchase homes that were close to other homes, like not too close, but where neighbors can keep an eye out on my property. Right. No, and um, that shows that, you know, you learned something out of that deal and now you have, an, uh, you know, one more thing in your, in your process to check, right? And that's the, that's the key with investing, that every deal you do, you want to have a lesson learned out of it, a lesson or two or maybe more, right? So that you know next time, okay, this is what you should do or this is what you should not. Exactly. Hey, I think we are out of time, um, but thank you so much, Bo. Really appreciate it. How can my listeners reach out to you? Yeah, um, so I, I'm still learning myself, but I love to connect with investors and I'd like to share what I've learned, um, you know, scaling up to 16 units. So I started a blog um, called Bigger Cash Flow. So it's www.biggercashflow.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Bigger Cash Flow, and you can email me at bo at biggercashflow.com if you have any questions. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Happy investing. See you everyone next week.